Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg with you. Flying solo tonight as I change the camera shot on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. Hello. So great to be back. It's It's been a few weeks since uh, since we've been on the air because we had our Face Your Fears night at Fort Tabor for the last two weeks. And what an experience that was to be able to get out there and investigate the paranormal with both seasoned investigators and some newcomers. We certainly had some fantastic experiences to report back to you, including some strange shadow figures, people being touched, uh, just everything, running the gamut of everything. And we were able to investigate inside the fort itself, which is just a fantastic opportunity to have just to get in there. It's it's such a unique place that if you have never been down there, and I keep saying this again and again, but I say it for good reason, if you have never been down there, you need to go down and visit. And anybody that's listening, of course, Spooky South Coast is listened to worldwide. If you are listening somewhere else, you need to make a trip down here to the Spooky South Coast and visit Fort Tabor. And trust me, I've been going all around the state for the last month talking about ghosts and libraries and schools and any place that would have me. And I will tell you that every time I show pictures of the fort or tell stories from the fort, it gets a lot of interest. So you should be thankful that you have it here for yourself. Well, we are here on Halloween. Yes, it's Halloween as we talk about the paranormal, as we do each and every Saturday night. And tonight... We are going to be talking about the paranormal with you. I want to hear some phone calls tonight. I want to, I want to get some calls tonight from the listeners about some of your strangest experiences, especially your strangest Halloween experiences. Because we've only had one other Halloween night broadcast in the time that we've done this show. Uh, we will be celebrating our 10th anniversary this coming January. And we're, I just never would have imagined we would have made it this far. 10 years. First of all, I've never stuck with anything that long, uh, but the fact that we are about to hit our 10th anniversary is fantastic. I keep saying fantastic tonight. What's up with that? Uh, but uh, the, <laughs> it's just incredible, and seven years ago would make sense, right, if it's if it's uh, every – but uh, we had our – maybe eight leap years, all that stuff. But we had our uh, first broadcast on Halloween. I don't know if any of you remember what we did that particular night. But we decided to have a little bit of fun with the listeners, and we pretended to be under attack from alien invaders. We basically recreated the War of the Worlds. And I never would have thought that it would actually have worked, that we would have been able to pull it off. But the plan was to act out some scripted ideas. And actually, it wasn't really scripted. We kind of did it on the fly. I think we had a half an hour meeting before the show, talked about some ideas of how to do it, and then just basically made it all up as we went along. But when we pulled it off, we actually had people that were calling up that were concerned that something was really going down. And then we sprung the surprise on everybody. We, we kind of pulled back the curtain by airing the original War of the Worlds broadcast from Halloween. And that's when people caught, oh, I see what you did there. And I'm so proud of that episode because we really just kind of threw that one all together. But tonight we're going to take it a little bit down a different path. You know, we've, we've paid our, our homage to Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the air. Tonight we're going to play a different type of role. We're going to dig into the mythology 
of Halloween and, and the folklore of it. And part of that is hearing your stories at 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. And, of course, I'm flying here solo in the spooky studio tonight. Stephanie Burke is off. Matt Moniz is off. Matt Costa is off. So it's just myself here in the spooky studio. But now, because he's back with us and because we have the technology... I can have uh, Chris Balzano joining us remotely, and we will do that soon enough, just as soon as uh, he finds a way to cut back the audio playback from his computer, because I just heard myself when I previewed it. So Chris will work all that out, and we will bring him on board. But again, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420 are the numbers to call in and share in what is on your mind. And Matt Moniz is actually not here tonight because he is over at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. I got a message on my uh, a missed call on my phone last night from Leanne Wilbur, and she said something, you know, she said she would always call me when something's going on. So I, I figured that if she's calling me, uh, something had to be going down. But uh, I was otherwise... I was otherwise I was busy, so I couldn't answer the phone. I was working, covering a football game, and like immediately after she called, Moniz called. So now I know something's going on at the house, and uh, so Moniz messaged me this morning and said that he would not be there, uh, but uh, he will be call- he will not be here, but he'll be calling in. So whatever's going on there, it sounds like it's pretty intense. And of course, being Halloween, that only ups the creepy factor a little bit more. So he'll join us in a little while to talk to us about what's going on there. But he did kind of give me a little bit of a hint earlier and it sounds like it's pretty incredible but we have had the opportunity now i've had the opportunity of going to talk about all uh these true ghost stories these these true paranormal experiences when i'm out on the circuit there telling my ghosts of the south coast stories to all the libraries and all the all the crowds and but we had the opportunity on thursday night to do away with so much of the the evidence and the data and the proving of it and the theory and the lecture and all of that stuff and boil it all back down to why we got involved in it in the first place, and that was when we presented an evening of ghost stories and New England legends for the second time. And uh, that was, it was definitely an experience, i got to tell you. When we walked into the stadium theater in Woonsocket on Thursday afternoon, we got there at about 1.30, we walked into the back through the stage door, and it was, it just blew me away. To first of all see such a, a beautiful theater, and then to have it be, you know, to have it also be the, um, I'm trying to find the right word for it, because it's it's like being awestruck, but at the same time, it's like feeling honored, privileged to even be on that stage, knowing that Charlie Chaplin was once on that stage. Al Jolson was once on that stage. Will Rogers. You know, the, the biggest stars of the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s all hit that stage. And then, here I am standing there. I'm standing there with Jeff Belanger and Andrew Lake and, and Frank Grace and Carl Johnson, and we're just we're amazed that they would even let us into the building, let alone you know actually perform on that stage for people. 
it has to go down as one of the most special nights of my life. And then when everything's starting to come together, you know, we're, we're basically just setting all up. We're carrying in some of our props, setting up the stage, waiting for the technical director to show up and kind of talking out some ideas and, and coming up with some plans. And really, like, by this point, we, we think we're ready to go for the show. So we're talking about kind of just some other little tweaks here and there. And then when the technical director showed up and started... He started, like, laying out the plans of what we could do. We're like, oh, oh, you can do that? Oh, we can do that? And then once he dropped the big screen, once that screen came down and we saw it and we were like, whoa, wow, we get to really get into this stuff now. We get to really get into these stories with Frank's incredible photography. This is going to blow everybody away. And then we threw the images up there on the screen. Well, that started to put the pressure on, because now we knew this was just going to be a good-looking show, so now we had to deliver with the content. So that made us just a little bit nervous. And uh, they had smoke machines, and they had spotlights, and all kinds of neat little technical wizardry to help strengthen the show. But what was funny to me was that I even said to, to everybody before the show, I said, well... I'm a little nervous about the fact that I'm not nervous. That's what had me concerned. Like, shouldn't I be more nervous right now? Shouldn't I be thinking that uh, anything could go wrong at any moment? But I don't know what happened because I just wasn't feeling it. I was not feeling the nerves. And it was perfectly fine. And I think the show went off pretty well. We had a few little problems, a few little glitches. But we're thinking that they might have actually been something that was paranormal in nature because we had no explanation for it. We couldn't figure it out. We tried to eliminate all the possible stuff. And it is a haunted theater, so that has to be part of it. That has to be part of the issue if you can't find any rational explanation for it. And you know that Arthur Darman, who built the theater, uh, loved it so much that there could be something there. And he could have been involved. And I hope so, because I was actually asking him out loud before the show. I was like, Arthur, please, please help us have a good show, whatever you can do. Because we want to make sure that we deliver to your audience, to your people. You know, we're here in your beloved city of Woonsocket. We want to put this show on and make it the best that it can be. And I, I think he might have actually been watching over us a little bit. And maybe he threw those little glitches in there as a way to heighten the experience for people. I don't know. But I highly recommend that if you've never been to the stadium theater, you go see a show there and support the stadium theater because they've bought the building next door, the stadium building. They're turning it into the stadium conservatory. And the plan is to eventually have this be a huge, big art center. And that would just be incredibly special to have something like that. Pretty local to us. You know, it's not that far from here. It would be just a dream come true to be able to see something like that come here in the city. I was thinking, all I kept thinking the whole time was the Orpheum Theater would be perfect for this. The Orpheum Theater and every, all, all the buildings it would be perfect. And, of course, Frank Grace is a former president, uh, past president of Orpheum Rising. So, you know, he's probably thinking the same thing. And it would just take somebody taking the ball and running with it. You know, somebody has to purchase the building, first of all. But just taking it and 
running with it and seeing what they can do. That's that's the secret. So, and uh, I think if we can pull that off, if somebody could come here and pull that off, we could have a gem like that. The Zaitarian is great, and I, and I was saying this morning on the morning show, the two theaters could certainly work hand in hand. I could see the Zaitarian continuing to getting these big national stage acts, uh, you know, bringing in the big time stars, and the Orpheum serving more the local community and being more of a a learning facility as well. I think that would be just a great team up. And if we could get that going, then we could present an evening of ghost stories and knowing the legends right here. Of course, the Zaitarian could also host it as well if if they were interested. We would love to do it again, but uh, it's so much fun to just get up there and tell the stories and share the stories and share in the folklore of Halloween. And speaking of folklore, we have joining us on the line, I like to refer to him as an analytical folklorist. That's the the term that I've given to Chris Balzano over the years, and, and Chris... Um, I'm sorry that we couldn't get the Skype working. I don't. I don't know what's the situation on this end because I've pushed every button that I'm supposed to push. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, last time I was on, I could hear you fine, and every time you brought a call in, I couldn't hear them. So, I mean, I was trying to play around as well, but Skype doesn't have that many setting buttons. So. Right. I, well, I fixed that problem from last time. I remember. I figured out what it was that I'd done wrong uh, for that end of it. But you know, it it always takes. You know, just uh, you know, the best plans to to ruin everything. You, you can start and start to figure out how you're going to do it, and then the next thing you know, nothing works. I, I'm going to blame it on Halloween if that works for you. That, that totally works for me. Maybe we should try to uh, maybe next time we'll try a video feed like we used to uh, back in the day. Well, let's not get crazy, <laughs> especially tonight where I'm working here. Uh, you know, on my own. If uh, if maybe if we could hook it up so that. We could have well, four, five, six interns, then we could try and pull something like that on. So this kind of feels like a you know a spooky crossroad kind of uh, rehash, but without the flaring. Yeah, we do have to be aware of that. That we definitely can't have uh, the same language, the free flowing language that we had, and it was very free flowing. There was there was certainly a few episodes there where I had a beer in my hand as opposed to like a soda or a water. And I, well, I can't even say what I was doing because once again, like we're not. We're not just uh, broadcasting on our normal stream, so. Right. Our old normal stream, I should say. But, that, I mean, those were a lot of fun. And anybody that wants to go back and find those on the Internet, we did. But we really dug into some topics. Yeah, I mean, I like to think of it as it's kind of like the um, the soft season last year. You know, like, there was great potential there. There were moments of brilliance, but it really was kind of, like, ultimately disappointing. <laughs> but if you... But if you scroll through every once in a while, you hear some stuff that was pretty cool. I think, well, part of the issue was that we were doing it, uh, you know, we were, I think we were ahead of the technology of the time. That goes without saying. I think we were trying to pull something off that couldn't quite be pulled off at the time, working for free. <laughs> you know, that was the big issue. If we right. had invested some money, we could have pulled it all off. But we didn't have money to invest. Right. And, and it was like, well, what are we going to talk about? But, and, and I think part of that was, you know, we had a lot of uh, paranormal stuff built up. Um, and when you're when you have a show topic or you have a show guest, you can't just kind of you know hot button it from one thing to another. And so we have sometimes had these things built up that have been annoying us or that we were into, and so we're able to talk about it. But it wasn't um, you know which is which is another great format. So 
But we can certainly do that tonight. I mean, we can totally freeform things to some degree because I've always said, you know, when you're on, when you do a paranormal show and you're on live on Halloween, you have kind of a, just kind of a, a, a carte blanche to really talk about whatever you want because you don't have to, people who want to get scared tonight are looking elsewhere. They're not tuning into right. the show. You know, they're watching horror movies. They're going to, you know, Factory of Terror type places. If if they're tuning into this, then they're tuning into this for something that goes beyond all of that. So that gives us the opportunity to really wander down any rabbit hole we choose to explore. And then I love to see picking up people like, you know, I'm not doing anything on Halloween because Spooky South Coast is on and, and they're keeping it real. Well, I'm glad that people feel that way, especially where we haven't been on for two weeks. I thought everybody forgot about us. I know. I forgot, too. And then I was like, who's this Tim Weisberg? Yeah, who's this guy that keeps texting me? Who's, what is this Skype thing he keeps talking about? But when when I was going out in, into the libraries, when I was doing these, um, you know, these lectures, uh, and I've been all over the place, you know, from Provincetown and Truro to places right around here. And uh, by the way, as we're talking, there's that you know that show First Look. Have you ever seen that yeah. show First Look? It's uh, airing right now on New England Cable News on the TV in the studio, and they're out doing a, a um, paranormal investigation at a fort at a lighthouse in uh, Michigan. And my my friend Tim Woolworth is there as part of it. So I believe he's the one who's in this episode. I'll have to wait and see. But I remember him writing something about. Yep, Tim Woolworth right there. Just showed up. So shout out to Tim Woolworth. Uh, but. Uh, when I'm out there talking to people, the first question I ask them is, do you listen to Spooky South Coast? And I used to get upset when they would say no, when I would see like maybe one or two hands from people that had ever heard of the show. I used to be like, oh, man, the show isn't out there anymore. But now I've looked at it differently. I've looked at it as there's, first of all, it's all potential audience now, if I can just win them over. Right. But also it means that they're there. They're not there because they listen to the show. They're there because they were just there to learn about the topic, which means there's more people listening to people talk about ghosts than I thought. Well, and you know, something that was really encouraging, since I, I came back, I've been, you know, I changed my, my news feeds over to, to ghostly topics as well as urban legends and Slender Man and the like. And um, I was very encouraged to see uh, more than I've ever seen announcements of libraries doing this kind of thing, like free, open to the public um, event at libraries and mm-hmm. at, and at uh, halls and left um, you know, this class and this investigation and look at this group and this special haunting. And there was a ton of them. And I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's a really encouraging sign because it means that, um, I think maybe the, 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 um, the, the, the difference between the paranormal and paranormal groups is <laughs> coming out again. Um, and so people are kind of embracing rather than the ghost hunting aspect of things. Uh, the, the haunting parts of things. I, I don't know if the if the, the people who you were speaking to um, whether they were more into like how do I find a ghost or whether they were into like what is this ghost? You know, like what what are these stories? I don't know. Yeah, I think the, part of the overlying reason why they were coming out to this is because they had experiences or had an interest in having an experience and they wanted to find out a little bit more what i can understand when i'm in you know osterville or provincetown and i'm talking about haunted cape cod you know there's a very narrow focus to that so they know that they're coming here and, ha- and, and hearing stories but uh when i went to truro i did paranormal 101 and the room was packed 
And what's funny is the room was packed, but there was a good, I'd say, 25, 30% of people that were in there that were part of teams or considered themselves paranormal investigators. There was a pastor who has put out a paranormal uh, how-to series on YouTube. I mean, these were experienced people that are going out to a paranormal 101 lecture. Listen, I love hearing new ideas and new theories, but I'm not about to go sit through a paranormal 101. No, no. You know, and I'm always uh, interested when my students may have, you know, a ton of different ghost topic books, especially this month, because it was part of the assignment I've, do, I've done it for years, and, and I this time I did a whole library for them to, to, to go over, <clears throat> excuse me, and they pick up, first of all, they pick up my books, which is crazy, but they pick up my how-to books, and I'm like, oh, no, no, you don't want that, you want this one, this one's got stories, and they're like, yeah, but we kind of find, like, how, you know, the, the how-tos of this to be interesting, too, and so once you're beyond that, I mean, it really is, is you know, why would I go to someone else tell me the basics when I feel I know the basics, but it, it, it's, it must be, you know, some kind of compelling um, desire we have to, like, understand what we do better. You know, like, how, how Tim Weisberg approaches this as opposed to, you know, whoever, however I'm approaching it. I think that there's, well, I'll ask you this, because you were kind of, I mean, you never really went out of the, you know, you know, you were never really out of the community here. You were just kind of watching from a distance, and it had taken a lot less priority. And you know, I think everybody needs to kind of get away from what they love once in a while too. You know, you need to kind of take a break and and have that spark renewed. But let me ask you this now: kind of being on the outside, looking in for a little bit, and now coming back into the inside. Do you see the? Because we've always been talking about how sooner or later this paranormal bubble is going to burst. And people will start to lose interest in it. But do you see it still gaining, gaining momentum, or do you see it on on a downslide, or is it kind of just plateaued? It, it does seem that paranormal stuff has gone down a little bit, but it seems that paranormal groups have gone down dramatically. Um, from what I've seen, I mean, I don't, I don't hear, uh, you know, I mean, at times I'm slightly uh, more perceptive than, you know, that target audience that we used to talk about, the 40-year-old housewife who who enjoys these things and will watch these shows but never really necessarily go out. You know, and I'm a, I'm a few steps removed from that and, you know, getting closer and to be more into it. And so I kind of feel like I have a pulse of what more of, like, the average person is consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't seem, and once again, I'm going by those news feeds, too, it doesn't seem that the focus is on the groups as much anymore as it is on the ghosts, from what I see. Which is what I want. <laughs> you know, I, I <laughs> yeah, want to hear yeah. more about that. Because you know, and, and and there were a lot more, you know, because most of those I, I don't feel are, you know, they're not the kind of stuff that I re-push out. <laughs> you know, like I'm not, I'm not really looking to promote a group or promote a uh, specific haunting, especially if it's not necessarily our, our, our target demographic of Massachusetts and or there's nothing, something, some kind of twist to it or some kind of angle to it. Um, but I noticed that, so I don't really click and get the details of everything that's going on, but the headlines so much, uh, or so much less focus on uh, the group. Like it's not, you know, a group from this town looks for ghosts, but rather there's this ghostly place. And then if you click in, you might, there might be a, a paranormal expert or a, an investigation team that's been in it. But even the headlines themselves, are focusing more on the hauntings or on the aspects of the paranormal and not necessarily the people looking for it. I, I think that we finally reached the point now 
uh, after this big explosion where paranormal investigation is kind of ancillary to just paranormal discussion. And I, I, right. I'd much rather see that be what holds on going forward because, you know, eventually people are people get bored and people move on to other things. And all these paranormal groups that are here today won't be there in five years, just like all the ones that were there five years ago aren't still around today. But, you know, some of them are, certainly, but a lot of them fade off or different things happen. So, but as long as there's always somebody talking about it, that's what matters to me. And I, I feel like the discussion has gone up. I think the need to, you know, because when we have this big explosion, there was a need for a lot of people to have it proven to them. So they're looking for television shows, radio shows, books, whatever, that will help them digest the topic and help them to process it and believe it. And I think now we've, as a culture, we've either decided that we believe or we don't believe, or we've decided that belief is kind of, you know, it's kind of not necessarily required to to right. enjoy the discussion of some of these topics. You know, I, I was planning on doing a, and it definitely was an investigation. It was much more of a of a legend trip tonight. Um, and I had so many people who wanted to hear the background story of it. And so many people who wanted to hear what was going on, and and oh wow, and, and they followed up with like, hey, hey, are you going? And I, no, I don't know. Can you go with me? And they go, oh no, no, I would never do that kind of thing. Um, and so it's much more a feel of like, well, we want to hear the stories and we want to know the the spooky parts of it, um, which goes into that you know that that um, we need to be we need to feel that this is mystic somehow. You know what I'm saying? We need to feel that this is. Um, not the average everyday kind of thing. Like this is supernatural and not natural to us. Um, so they were much more into hearing the stories and getting freaked out by it and, and wanting to know like if anything could happen as opposed to just being like, well, tell me how you're investigating it. Or like, what are you going to do to get evidence and stuff like that? So, you know, it's an encouraging sign for those people. Although, you know, like during those, during, during that time period, you know, that we're kind of coming out of, a lot of interesting people, a lot of interesting investigations, a lot of interesting ideas get out of it. I, I, I would want to see if if I could kind of dictate the way things were going to go. If somebody bestowed me with that power and said, you're going to be the one to steer the paranormal into the next direction, I would like to see it become more about the why, more about the the connections than it is the actual individual haunts, more about the, the common threads that run between them. And I, I think that you need to have enough acceptance of it being there and, and having it be, quote-unquote, real for people to start looking at those connections. But I think we're starting to see more of the people who research it making the connections. So there's, there's more of the John Tenney school of thought, uh, the, the, the kind of, you know, that kind of overall uh, archetypal analysis. I think there's a lot more of that coming about than people who are just trying to figure out each individual haunt. Yeah, and, and that's, that's really encouraging. And, and even if ideas um, feel like, no, nah, I don't really agree with that, or I, nah, no, I don't, you know, oh, yeah, that totally inspires me. I mean, they need to get ideas out there. You know, I, I always used to talk about um, this investigator, the very first conference I did, and he got up there and he spoke about uh, the color of orbs being connected to uh, the chakras to identify how the person died. Um, and so, you know, if, if you happen to see a red orb, it meant that you had died of a head injury or something like that. 
I'm not familiar with chakra colors. Um, and, I'm, and I think I was thinking about it, and I was totally engaged in it, and I was totally disagreeing with it, but it was an idea, you know? It was an idea that, that was somehow trying to explain this phenomenon of, of, of ore that you see. And, and that's the kind of thing that I think is also interesting to people. You know, most of these stories that we hear of, like, old mythology and things like that, you know, or even, you know, modern folklore, it, it's, it's used to explain, right? It, it's, it's used to explain some mystery of the universe or something unexplained uh, about the natural world around us. And we've explained all that stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are obviously, when, as we dig, we find new things to kind of be confused about, but the basic things that we come into contact every day, the things that make our world run, we understand it. And what don't we understand is the death part of it. <laughs> we understand most of the living things, but when it comes to what happens after that, we don't. And so I think that there's a, a severe need to have people understand um, what, is this, what is this other universe? What is this other kind of existence? Is it real? Is it not real? And, and can I play in it? And, and the people who have gone before me, can I, are they still connected to me? Will I be connected to the ones I love? And those are really big spiritual questions that we have not fully answered yet for people. You know, and getting back to kind of the idea of, of investigating, I spoke at uh, the Ocean State Paracon this past summer, and I talked about a topic that I thought was going to be fascinating for the audience. I thought I was going to, because I was fascinated kind of putting it all together and, and thinking about it, and I thought this was going to make people think in the paranormal, and instead all it did was make people like not want to sit and listen to me uh, for 40 minutes. And I talked about the need to still keep a modicum of fear involved in paranormal investigation, and, and I called it, It's Okay to Be Afraid. And I'm, I'm trying to express the idea that that fear that got us involved in the first place, because we were afraid of the unknown in some degree, that that needs to stay as part of what we do. Do you think that as this topic becomes more mundane to folks, as, as people become accepting, you know, more accepting of it, whether they believe or not, they're at least accepting of the fact that it's a topic out there for discussion. Does that take away some of that fear, and is that a good thing if it does? I'm not sure that every ghost um, needs to be feared. Um um, wonderment might be a better word to explain it than fear. Sure. Uh, Karen Mossy has been talking to her son for 20 years, and there's no fear there. And there's no fear really with anything that, that she does, you know, because there, there's a, there's an understanding that she has, whether, you know, you're a Karen Mossy fan or not. But that's just an example. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think moments will never not be scary. You know, and I think that if you see investigators, whether you're watching shows, you just know people, there is that moment of jump when something, um, when something physical happens, right? So intellectually, uh, every once in a while we have to be kicked in the butt and have something actually happen, happen to us. You know, I'm not, I always, I always say that I'm not really scared of anything, like, uh, especially paranormal things, but I'm not, and yet I can, say instances where I've been like really freaked out and really scared, <laughs> you know, but if I say it intellectually, I'm like, no, I'm, I mean, I've experienced things before and, and it's never the, 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 the things that you think are going to be, um, creepy or spooky for that matter. It's not those things. It's the things that kind of 
uh, jar you, the things that are not supposed to happen but are also maybe more subtle. Um, and you get that feeling in the back of your neck. And I, I think that that needs to stay. Um, but I also think it's in, you, you have to have this kind, you know, for even positive hauntings, you have to be willing to feel enlightened or willing to feel moved um, to not. And I think that's maybe the part of the clash is because if you're, if you're looking at it on a scientific level, um, those don't necessarily get along. So if you're analyzing data and not experiencing data, it's really tough to have it impact you um, in your heart instead of your head. So I think that definitely needs to stay. Yeah, I do find that when I'm bringing people along on Legend Trips events or or just going and helping people out with uh, an investigation, that I, I find that when they become kind of ho-hum about it all, when they, when they become comfortable in it, they're also missing a lot. You know, they're all, and they're also willing to... Uh, less willing to take chances and if you're less willing to take chances then you know you're not going to find new and unique approaches if you're just going back to the old standby right you know and, and also it, and once again I'm, I'm taking my kids as a, as a measuring pot because you know middle schoolers are um, an extreme of the general population right you take whatever might be an emotion that might be felt um to some small degree with everybody, middle schoolers feel it very intensely. Uh, and part of the project that we always do in October, um, I read New England Ghost Files. And I think most people who read New England Ghost Files can somehow feel creeped out by it, but not like can't sleep at night because it freaked them out so much. Um, and so I read, you know, at each class I read different stories, so I probably read you know, read them the majority of the book. And overwhelmingly the thing that um scared them or freaked them out was not the story itself, because those stories are not told to to, to scare you. Um it was the author's note or it was the proof afterwards that what they had experienced actually meant something. Um and I think that's that's the thing that really um can be that jarring thing I'm talking about. So when you do an investigation at one of your writing trips, for example, um, and you have someone who might experience something or get something, or, or and then all of a sudden you can come back with the history and be like, well, you know, this person here, this is what they look like, or this person here died this way. That kind of matches the EVP you got. That is the, that's kind of like the, the, the touch point for them to actually experience it on a much deeper level. And then that's, that's, you know, feeling it with the head and the heart. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that needs to be brought back into it is the heart, because people became so, so much uh, falling into that, you know, the Jason and Grant ghost hunters theory of, you know, we have to disprove everything and we have to uh, take it with this scientific or pseudoscientific approach that they've lost a lot of the emotion of the story. And I've noticed that, you know, I, I haven't watched Ghost Hunters in a long time, but I, I caught the episode on the stadium theater because I was going to be talking about the stadium theater as part of my storytelling in the show. And uh, I noticed that, at least in that episode, and I, I recorded the Houghton Mansion episode, but I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but I noticed that there was a lot of emotion brought back into it. And I don't mean emotion like from, from the investigator saying like, oh, you know, I'm so scared or anything like that. I mean like the emotion of the story. So less about just give us the facts about what happened and more about 
you know, why would this person stick around? Why would this spirit still be here if indeed it is here? Why would it want to stay? What was it about this? And then you can really get into the emotion for it. And that, I think that's a, a big part of the why that is often overlooked. It's like the why usually is, the why is because it happens. You know, that's why, because it happens. But let's figure out what and who. Right. And I'm glad the why is getting more important. And one of the tough things is that the the why comes from uh, researchers who can not always necessarily be the best communicators, uh, and it comes from psychics who, if you don't believe a psychic, then you don't believe the reason why they're saying the why. Right. <laughs> and so it's really difficult to incorporate those things into what you're doing. I think that, though, when, when I have been involved in some of these uh you know, television shows like the the things that I've kind of done. You know, going to be part of that Ghost Adventures episode or filming Monster Quest or whatever. You know, they they do try to incorporate a lot of that into the discussion, but it just doesn't end up. It was never ending up on in, in the show, so it's not like it's right. a new concept for them to explore some of the stuff. It's just I think that the the way the public was digesting these programs shaped how they were editing them, and, and that was the thing that came out. And now when you've got enough people saying, okay, okay, all right, I believe it already. Now tell me what it all means. That's right. why I think it's – and that's a tough – I'd never want to be in that position if, uh, you know, if I was out there investigating every week and I was out there running a group, and I would never want to have to be in that position to try to explain to people when they say, can you tell me why this is happening in my house and what what it all means? I, I wouldn't want to be in that role because how can you be? Yeah, and oftentimes it's, it's, it's a question that you can't answer, and it's um, when you're talking, you know, a, a family or, or something, it's something that is very confusing and emotional event, and you don't have an answer for it. And the... the <laughs> The unfortunate thing you have to tell people is, I am kind of using you to try to find the answer. You know, because they want you to be coming as the authority, and you're trying to use them to understand it better yourself to communicate it back to them. So it's, it's, it's a really tricky situation for, uh, for when you're dealing with families. And I think in the next hour, I mean, of course, if anybody wants to call in and join in the discussion at all, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. But I think in the next hour, I want to discuss the Exorcism Live show. And I know that you didn't get a chance to catch it, and I only saw some of it this afternoon. I, I was going to sit down and try to watch it all, but, you know, as I sat down on my couch and got ready, I could hear with some of the windows open all the little kids starting to walk around the neighborhood, and I was like, well, I thought Saturday meant later trick-or-treating, not we're going to start at 3.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> so I haven't had a chance to see the whole thing yet, but there's been a lot of reaction to it, so I want to talk about that and just the concept of it uh, coming up in the next hour. But I, I think that in seeing the way that these people are digesting the paranormal, the the run-of-the-mill folks who just happen to be looking for a good October, you know, scare, uh, or good, you know, just a good time in October. I think they're starting to see themselves that, well, wait a minute now, this is something that is worth pursuing all year round, and this is something that's worth considering uh, at other times of the year. I think that's going to open people's minds a lot more to experiences that they are having too. Instead of just pigeonholing the paranormal for October, this is going to help open their minds to it year round. And, and I'd say in a good five years or so, 
considering the fact that you know this, the radio show here has been on for almost ten, I think in a good five years or so, um, we might actually see no more paranormal investigation on television because it won't be necessary anymore. <laughs> you just said a lot. <laughs> Um, I, I, mean, well, I, mean, I think I mean, there was a time when it wasn't, right? I mean, there was a time when um, the investigation part of things was, once again, a psychic, and, um, or it was a, 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 a room of intellectual people who were coming in with equipment that no one really understood what it, what it does. And so we, obviously we can't go back to that because so many people do know what those things do. Um, but I agree. I agree. I think whether it's because people just bore of it because you can't get the next exciting thing or whether people just no longer have a need for it, I think there will definitely come a time fairly soon where there's not a lot of investigating uh, done on television. I mean, I, I, working for one of those shows, I hope that it isn't true, but I just see that it's, or at least that it's evolved and it's changed uh, right. in, in the way that it goes by then. But I, I think that there's going to be less about, I've even noticing that in the show that I work on. You know, it's less about whether or not they're they're taking it at face value. You know, they're accepting the fact that these spirits are here, and they're just going out and trying to communicate with them. And so that is the next level of things. That's one of the things I was the most proudest of with Ghost Stalkers, is that we weren't trying to prove to the audience that they were there. We're trying to dig into the reasons why they might be there and explain to people why they might be there. And and I think some of it went over people's heads. But at least it was an attempt to, to tie it all together, a chance, uh, an attempt to see the forest for the trees. And I think even if you're talking about the evidence that, that is in the show, um, the most compelling evidence, or at least the most engaging evidence, is not um, the heat, although it visually is spectacular, because it's like, well, I don't, you know, we've had that debate on, on uh, Spooky South Coast before over, well, why would it be hot or cold? That doesn't make sense to me, uh, one way or the other. But... It's not necessarily the, um, the, the energy readings or, or things like that because that, you know, once again, that's kind of more science than most of us can understand or can grasp. Um, but it's the, it's the voices. It's the spirit communication. It's the, communica- it's the, it's the, hearing, it's the hearing the voices on tape um, or it's, it's, you know, uh, hearing it on, seeing something visually. Those are the, the things that I think people really are searching for even in those shows. Um, and they kind of have to go through all the other stuff, which is meant to back up, uh, I think, the, the actual audio and video evidence. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I would just like to see more. I mean, I, I was very encouraged the other day because I got to talk to the middle school here in Fairhaven. And although the kids were, like, freaked out by it, and and they were freaked out by the experiences they had that they wanted to share and everything. They're not afraid to step into it, and they're not afraid. You know, they were coming up back and like, "Where can I get one of these? How can I get one of these?" You know. And then another one I was at. There was a girl who had started a paranormal club at her high school, and and had a good you know dozen members. So I think that there's going to be an upcoming generation when in the past. We are we always haven't had that. We haven't always had that. I should say, where there's always a, a next generation coming up behind it that will continue to shake the foundation of things. Yeah, when my students hear that I used to be able to teach like a paranormal uh, investigation elective, and we used to have like a ghost club, 
And you're very jealous. Like, oh, why can't we start back here? Why can't we start down here? Well, well, it's a different time. And it's, sorry, guys. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is. Yeah, and what, is, what are people's first entry into the paranormal? Other than the experience themselves, chances are it's a Ouija board. Um, right. Why did the whole Charlie Charlie thing take off uh, so hard last year? Because it was spirit communication, being able to touch it. So I think that there is a generation that is very, very wide and very, very open. Well, we are coming up on the end of the first hour, and uh, we can discuss things more in the second hour. And we will welcome your phone calls as well, 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. But this being Halloween, there are some people who probably want to get scared uh, a little bit tonight. So I think when we come back on the other side, I'd like to share some of our scariest experiences in our research of the paranormal, some of the, the moments that made us be just a little bit afraid, and, and they probably have nothing to do with the ghosts themselves and more to do with where we were or who we were with. We'll also check in with Matt Moniz as well and find out what's going on over at the Lizzie Boyd and Bed and Breakfast tonight. I know that he had a pretty profound experience earlier, so I'll let him share that with you on the air coming up. And, of course, you can join in the conversation anytime during the show on Twitter using the hashtag SpookyLive. And you can also find us there anytime at SpookySC. It's a great way to get a hold of us all week long. You can also email us, SpookyCrew, at SpookySouthCoast.com if you would like to do that. But we've got, we've got some anniversary show plans already in effect. And I'm just going to announce that to everybody now, that we're actually going to be reaching out to the audience to help us in putting together the anniversary show and leading up to the anniversary show. It's an idea that Stephanie and I had a discussion of, Chris. We forgot to tell you about it. But don't, okay. but don't worry. It's, it's no work for you. So I, I dumped it all on her. So it should be perfectly fine. Uh, I wholeheartedly like, agree then. I was like, I basically have like three months to teach you how to, how to uh, do audio editing. So well, that's plenty of time. All right. So we're going to take a break for the news. We'll be back on the other side with more Spooky South Coast. Number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with Chris Balzano there, because, you know, we have to connect remotely, and we tried connecting via Skype, Chris, and all different kinds of ways, and even when I, and that didn't work, so we had you call in on the phone, but even when I disconnected you, I could still hear you coming through the queue on my board. Freaky. Did you hear me talking bad about you? I heard every single thing you said, but that's all right, I'm used to that. All right. Well, I hope you weren't hearing the other stuff, because those were private moments. No, no. I'd say we won't speak of it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's, uh, it's great technology, and, and someday we'll master it. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. And, th- and that's like, a, I'm just scratching my head trying to figure out what it was that I was doing. I was like, ooh, what is this? And uh, the only answer I can come up with, it's Halloween. It's Halloween. I thought you were saying we, we only did one Halloween show. 
I thought the Jackie Barrett show was a Halloween show. I no, I don't think it was a. a I don't think so. Not a live Halloween night, right? No, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought that the very first time you did it was um, was actually on Halloween, but I could be totally wrong. I'm looking uh, here at the list. I have her as being on um, October 13th, 2012 was her first time with us. And then she came back with us on April 26th, 2014. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I could be wrong. Maybe we reran it on Halloween. I don't know. But I mean, I it was it was worthy of Halloween. That's for sure. Talking about Amityville. Oh my yeah, gosh! Yeah, it, it was that first one, right before she had her um, documentary. Um, and I totally thought it was, and I thought it popped up in my memories on Facebook um, today too. So. Hmm. Very weird. Very weird. Well, I think that uh, when you start to Think about all the different ways you could explore Halloween. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what? What? Did, how did you explain it to your kids when they first started asking you about Halloween? I mean, did you give them the whole, you know, uh, you know the dead come and walk among the living, and you need to hide yourself, uh, or or did you take it more from the approach of, you know, the, I don't know. How did you explain it to your to your kids? I'm not sure. I really have. Um, my kids are, are get freaked out by everything. Um, and they're, 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 they're not very, um, <laughs> they didn't we had a haunted house and I'm like, it's just going to be people jumping out at you. It's just, nope, don't want to do it. Don't want to do it. They get freaked out. Um, but honestly, I think a lot of their understanding of it, you know, when I throw in things here and there, but a lot of their understanding of it is based on what they hear at school, um, or what they see on TV. So, you know, they're all ready to talk about Five Nights at Freddy and there are, you know, they talk about. Um, Scary Terry, you know, who's, who's their version of Bloody Mary, and even the Bloody Mary legend. I mean, so all those things that are on that are about Halloween, um, they're getting from school. They're getting from books. You know, uh, Judy B. Jones has a whole book about you know these five myths of of, uh, of Halloween. And it was funny because I sat down with my daughter because she was kind of freaked out that some of them were going to happen. And I was like, all right, so did bats get stuck in your hair? And she's like, nope, bats didn't get stuck in my hair. Is candy corn, you know, not actually corn? She's like, well, Dad, that one's real. Don't be stupid. I'm like, all right, I understand that. And, you know, we went down the list, and, and, and I think that that's how they're getting it. So in terms of, you know, when I try to um, try to give them some of kind of the real stuff uh, or some of the things that go beyond that, they just say, whoa, dude, not ready for it, not ready for it, freaks us out. Well, the I mean, I never really had the discussion either with my son, but he's into like Five Nights at Freddy's and Slender Man and all that kind of stuff, you know. So he he kind of knew about it on his own, but he's also big into researching myths and legends on his own. So he's you know his his favorite reading material is books about Greek gods and, and Roman gods. So that's what he's usually reading for fun, and so he knows a lot of that stuff. And I didn't really hear about it growing up until later. And I became fascinated with it then because before that I always enjoyed Halloween, but I didn't realize that it was, you know, there was so much more complexity to it. And once I realized all that, and, you know, I kind of root for the underdog to some degree, and, and Halloween has been a, a day that should have more meaning that, that has lost that meaning and has had that meaning bastardized over the years. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure I really could give uh, a good explanation. I mean, Tim, do you feel... 
that on this night, like, the veil is thinner between the worlds? I mean, do you genuinely feel like uh, those things that, that we eventually heard or that, that were kind of the mythology of Halloween? I mean, do you really genuinely feel them? Well, I never thought that I did, but there have been a few nights when I've, uh, a few Halloween nights when I've been like, okay, something isn't right tonight. Something is definitely off. And I was having a conversation with Stephanie earlier today, and she was telling me as, you know, having her abilities, being a medium, I said to her, I said something about, oh, they were, they, well, actually, they went on an investigation last night, her and, her and Andy and Jason Mayo. And so we were talking about that, and she said that, Going out on Halloween, because it was after midnight when they went out, that going out on Halloween is so much worse for her. And I said, well, so all that stuff about, you know, the dead walking among the living and, and, and having free reign, that stuff is true? And she said, yes, it is, that when, you know, when Halloween comes for 24 hours, they can walk freely among us, and she has to deal with that because it becomes so much, it becomes overwhelming that she can't right differentiate to you know what she's supposed to be looking for and, and who's coming up to her so i mean that, and that's part of the reason why she's not here tonight yeah i'm not, I'm not sure I, I fully believe it um i don't know if i go with the whole buffy the vampire slayer theory of like well no one does anything on halloween nothing paranormal ever happens on halloween mm-hmm. um because you know i can probably split it down the line like i've had some halloweens that i've really felt that and about have had other halloweens and this might be more tainted by, like, having kids and that those being my Halloween memories now, um, where I'm like, eh, yeah, nothing, nothing really odd happened. I, mean, I didn't get any feeling differently than I normally do. Or, you know, I've been on uh, investigations or legend trips during, you know, on Halloween, and it's kind of 50-50 whether I've gotten, you know, more experiences and more evidence on nights when it's been Halloween or, or that 24-hour cycle than other nights. So... I'm kind of I'm kind of up in the air about it. Yeah, I mean, I I just always feel like something's weird, but that doesn't mean that it's it, it doesn't mean that it isn't people putting out a weird vibe. If you get what I'm saying, you know, because everybody's right, right. letting their guard, everybody's kind of, you know, focusing on that. That maybe they allow for that to happen uh, because they're creating it. The whole idea of you know creating a ghost that I talk about, and you and I have talked about tons of times, uh, right. that maybe we create that energy on Halloween. Yeah, or are just open to what's there all the time, you know, because it's in our, um, it's in the back of our minds that it is that season, you know, and I, and I you know, it, it's important also to note that the majority of people, when you say Halloween to them, um, think as much about serial killers and 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 slasher movies, which have really nothing to do with the paranormal or the supernatural, most of them, as much as they do monster movies. So if you ask people what they're watching tonight. Maybe they're watching Friday the 13th. Maybe they're watching Halloween. Maybe they're watching Scream. Um, you know, and then maybe they're watching something that's paranormal or paranormal-based. Um, but a lot of them don't make that differentiation because, they, you know, Halloween's more about being scared than it is about necessarily being in touch with spirits. Yeah, I mean, I really think that uh, if we observed Halloween the way that we traditionally did in years, you know, in, in decades past then there would be a lot more of that feeling going around. Right. Uh, but I think the fact that, you know, it's become kind of commercialized and and it is like the number two consumer holiday now behind Christmas. So I think as, as that's become Halloween's lot in the world, uh, I think that that means that 
even though that still persists, that feeling still persists, I think it's a lot less than it probably was in the past. I mean, people genuinely, like, take out their inhibitions. They just kind of, like, remove them. They'll do things in the holiday season that they would normally do. They dress sexier in Halloween parties. They're more uh, open to, like, oh, yeah, let's talk. Let's get out the Ouija board and do it. They're more, um, you know, willing to say, hey, what's going on to the person that they see um, on the street because they're trick-or-treating or whatever. And so, you know, is it, is it make, like you were saying, is it, is it the, the season that gives them the feeling or, you know, is there something about this time that actually activates something that, you know, Halloween takes advantage of? It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's once again one of those questions that we're probably never going to have an answer to, but it's, you know, it's interesting to observe it. Uh, what was it? Somebody that I work with was telling me that her daughter calls uh, Halloween uh, All Sluts Eve, I believe. <laughs> I'm, I'm fully, uh, I'm, I'm, I fully support, you know, letting your inhibitions down. Well, I mean, I think if there's going to be one night that you're going to do it, sure, then that's fine. Right. Uh, but I, I also think, too, though, that there, you know, I, I wouldn't mind having a, a traditional Halloween, you know, where where you could go somewhere and observe people observing Halloween in the traditional sense, where you can get kind of away from all this other stuff. I mean, I would love to, you know, for all of the um, diversity that's in my area, um, <laughs> there aren't any uh, festivals of the dead. There aren't any Day of the Dead uh, ceremonies or, or, or celebrations or acknowledgments. You know, it, it's, I would really like to see um, some other cultures uh, approach uh, reflected and being able to observe it as opposed to, you know, kind of, it's, it's especially here. Uh, it's so much more. They've got you know entire city blocks, you know that are that are just devoted to partying, um, which is cool too. Um, but there's not a lot of um, explanation. It's either it's either um, parties and celebration, or it is you know uh, a very uh, um, religious approach to you know why Halloween is 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 evil and should be avoided. Yeah, there is a lot of that still, though, uh, to this day. There's a lot of people who have the wrong idea about it and who have, you know, taken it into just a place it doesn't need to go of those who observe. And I hear it all the time, like when, when, because all the people that we know, all the people in the paranormal world get excited for Halloween. And there's always those, uh, you know, uh, cold buckets of water that have to get dumped on it that say, well, you know, you shouldn't really be celebrating that night because it's, it's got to do with the devil and this and that. And people are just misinformed, and, and they believe the legend, they believe the hype. Yeah, I mean, and it is, you know, it, it is really hard to, um, when people say what they what they think, um, and when they say um, their religious approach and perspective on Halloween, they never say it half-heartedly. Um, they say it very convincingly. And so... It sounds it, it, it's hard to tell what the truth is because everyone seems to be approaching it from a they know exactly what's going on perspective. Is there any uh, particular Halloween that you did something that that really freaked you out, or did something that uh, you know that you actually tried to get scared on on Halloween? Oh, it would definitely have to be ninety <laughs> eight. Um, uh, I think it was. Um, 98 was my um, probably the most important night of my life, uh, Halloween 1998. Um, I went out with two friends of mine, and we tried to hit as many um, uh, investigations in Rehoboth as we could. Um, and we had uh, radios 
and we had them tuned to AM. We had Ouija boards. Um, we had we had no understanding uh, of the paranormal. It was it was the most genuine uh, like experience that I've, I've ever had in the paranormal. It was three people who were obsessed with uh, New England ghost files who were like, let's, let's just go out and see if we can experience these things. Um, and we, you know, had some, we had some pretty frightening things happen to us um, in terms of we were in the, um, the shade factory pond across from the, I always say that wrong, but uh, the shade, the shade pond factory, and we were, um, we had our legs like ripped at. Wow. Um, we were in, um, we were in. I can't remember even. I wish I could go back there now and relive that moment because I, I know so much more about the area now. Um, we were in one of the cemeteries, and you know, it was one of those moments where everybody, you know, you see in the horror movies that the the, the guy stays back and tries to help, and he's the one that dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had just a completely normal, we were so hyped up, we were so, um, the, the energy was just like so, like running through our bodies, that I think it was just like a, a, something moving in the, in, the, in the leaves. And I knocked, both, I was out there with two girls, I knocked both of those girls down on the way back to the car. You know, it was like, I am not getting stuck. You know, it was probably my lowest moment uh, looking into the paranormal. Um, and, you know, we went around it, and we, we hit so many places. And then, of course, if you've ever been to Rehoboth and done any investigating, all you have to do is ask somebody. And once again, this is 98, right? So this is uh, obviously before Ghost of Virtual Triangles published, before, um, you know, there's a lot known about it, except for locally, everyone was willing to talk to us that night. So everyone was giving us these great ghost stories. Everyone was pointing us to places we could go. Everyone was like, hey, follow us. We'll show you the cemetery or we'll show you this famous place. And it was just like an, an, an amazing night of just experiencing stuff. And, and then, of course, the, the, my author's note to that um, is that we took probably 15 rolls of film um, and not a single roll of film made it back to Boston with us. No, and they were in different places. We were storing them as we were taking them. Glove compartment, this little part in the trunk. None of the stuff um, made it back to Boston. We don't know where it went. We don't know what happened to it. Um, but, so we have no, forget, you know, just evidence of the paranormal. We have no evidence that the night ever happened because there's nothing there. So, you know, you have all that stuff, and then you hear that creepy part of, like, and nothing came out. Like, it was, you know, it's like that moment in contact where they say, well, it, yeah, you know, we recorded nothing, but we recorded six hours of nothing. Um, you know, so that was probably my my most frightened because it was new and it was uh, visceral because we were experiencing it with, like, no understanding of what was going on and we were just going by stories and then we were going so much beyond the story. So that's my really long answer to that question. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's definitely a, a, a good experience to have and, and a good Halloween memory to have. And I'm, I'm thinking as this is all going on, uh, trying to find in my own mind if there was ever a time when I had something similar. And I, I can't remember any time that I was ever actually freaked out or scared on Halloween. I mean, I always kind of just did something whatever and then went home. You know, usually my Halloweens, I, my Halloweens, as much as I try to enjoy them and embrace them, it usually becomes a how fast can I get home and chill out and watch a horror movie. Right. You know, like uh, last year I, I, last year I had to work. But the year before that, 
I mean, I just I handed out candy and then watched Poltergeist. I think I watched yeah. all three Poltergeist movies in a row. You know, and that's that's how that's I like to spend money. Huh? <laughs> that's the night. I was like, I was going to go out tonight, and I'm like, well, I can go out tonight, and I can do this, and it may or may be something that happens. This, this, uh, this investigation, maybe something that happens, or I can be on Spooky South Coast. I can talk to my good friend Tim, and I can put in a nice horror movie. And when you, know? you do it, I mean, when you do. Like you and I mean I don't know if you're like me, but I'll I'll watch a horror movie anytime. Really, like usually if I'm looking for a movie to watch, I'm going to chill out on the couch for a couple of hours. Usually I'll look through and I'll see what horror movies are on demand first, because I always try to catch them all. But and but if you're like me, you know you you take it pretty seriously, and I I will actually get upset if I watch a horror movie on Halloween that I feel like it was a waste of my time. I mean I don't really like that anyway, but I especially don't like it if I wasted valuable Halloween time on it. So do you go back to your, like, old favorites on Halloween yeah. rather than trying to? Yeah. And so what do you watch? So you watch Poltergeist. What else do you watch? Uh, Poltergeist is pretty much my favorite. Uh, and I will watch, you know, usually The Exorcist is on somewhere mm-hmm. because it's Halloween. Um, and you, and always Halloween is on somewhere, one right. of the Halloween movies. And I'll watch the original Amityville Horror if that's on. Yeah. Great movie. I've, I've watched, and you know what's funny though, is it's not a great movie. <laughs> if you were to look at that completely objectively, you would say, eh, it's all right. But because you know, because you and I have essentially, I mean, kind of against our will, we've become part of the Amityville story. That uh, you know, we look at it differently, and and I think that that is, it taints our belief a little bit because just looking at it straight on. It's kind of like, yeah, it's not bad, you know. It's 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 a decent movie, but the the way that it just consumed me from the time that I first read the book and then saw the movie, like I, I've always just held it at a higher regard. Well, I've never been a big jump person. Like I don't like, um, you know, I don't think that's like really being scared. Mm-hmm. You know, like to have just something jump out at you and you're freaked out by it, or or even just to see. You know, uh, I think it's still probably a trend with a lot of horror movies, like something weird, visual that's like jumpy, uh, and that's supposed to be the terror of it. Is that it? Like, you know, because of a trick of cameras, they can make it like to be two places at once, or like, you know, like do some kind of quick cut like that. Right. I've never been what Amityville did for me, and I think so much of the paranormal did it back then. Like this, is it planted something in me that I couldn't sleep because of it? You know, I don't, sure, you know, every once in a while I have this weird fantasy where I think the Zodiac Killer is outside my window. And it's a genuine terror, and I don't know where it comes from. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's completely irrational. Um, but the movies that really, and the ideas that really freak me out are the ones that aren't necessarily, like, um, jump, you know, they're, they're not jump horror. They're not slasher. They're not uh, um, torture porn. They are the ones that, like, for that one, just, completely freaked me out. Not the most scary things you've ever seen. Um, you know, hold up as a film in terms of the technology used, maybe not. Um, but I watch Amityville Horror. I watch The Omen. That's like my go-to on Halloween. Mm, and those movies just mess with my head. Right, yeah, 70s horror definitely was the psychological horror, uh, for sure. I mean, then that gave way to the slasher films of the 80s, and I think the the modern horror tries to combine both, but right. more often than not, they can't develop the psychological aspect of it. Although I haven't seen uh, Crimson Peak, I've heard mixed reviews of it. 
Yeah, I mean, and you know, I was I was over my my son's friend's house, and they were scrolling through trying to find something Halloweeny, but kid Halloweeny, and so they're just kind of going through, and they went through, um, you know, all the Halloweens were on, and this was on, and then I saw that the cell was on, um, and the cell is one of those movies for me that totally messes with my head and. Um, has the visual. Yeah, and the visual stuff is so unsettling that it's like it, 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 um, I can get over the parts of that movie. Like, I don't remember the parts of that movie that are not good or not entertaining, but I remember the visual things and thinking of, wow, imagine if your ideas were manifest like that. Like, my wife walked my out of the, look like? my wife walked out of the theater during that movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I told my wife at the time, like, I will never let you watch this movie. Like, I am not, you know, like, I'm not, you know, forcefully. I'm telling you right now that if you watch this movie, it will change your life and not in a good way, so you're not going to watch it. Yep, and, I'm, and I'm surprised it's never included in those, in lists of movies that are, uh, that are scary. You know, they never mention the film. Because I think people like to pretend it doesn't exist. <laughs> no, it's really, it's that unnerving of a film. It really is. It, it, it's, 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 you know, literally looking into the, <laughs> into, into someone's nightmare. And, uh, you know, the, as I said, I hadn't seen Crimson Peak yet, so I can't comment on, on that. But I do think that the psychological horror has been lost because there's been, it's almost like it's not enough anymore to scare people. Right. Uh, you know, that it's, it's, it has to be jump scares in order to, to freak people out. But, I mean, let's just go back to Amityville Horror because you and I both know it so well. Uh, reading the book, did, I assume, were you like me, did you read the book before you saw the movie? No, I didn't read the book until years later. Oh, wow. So, yeah. all right, even, even, we can even count the movie then, but, but what was the moment that freaked you out the most out of the entire... Actually, look at the book and the movie as a whole. What's the moment that freaked you out out of the entire uh, story? I think in watching the movie, the part that freaked me out the most was uh, when he comes out and, of, the, um, of the pit, where he comes out of the hole and he's covered in that blood. Mm-hmm. Like when I think of that movie, that's the first image that comes to my to my um, to my head. Um, and then if you're talking more about the book and the documentary style type stuff, um, and probably this this is, impacts me more now because I've actually experienced this with in connection to the Amityville Horror. Um, but it is when she um, the the little girl when she's walking from room to room and when she hits certain places, she stops singing. And then she um, gets to a different place and she picks up the song where it would have left off. And there's just, for some reason, she gets to a point and stops. And then when, she, when she's finished, when she goes by that room, she starts up again. That messes with my head. And my son did something very similar to that, um, which I think I talked about on Spooky South Coast before, which is when Jackie Barrett's book came to the house, um, not only did he not want to go to the mailbox to get it, um, which is weird because he didn't know it was coming. He didn't know it was in there. He just was like, nope, nope, not going to the mailbox. Um, but when I had the book on a table, he would actually physically, without knowing that it was there, move around the table in a very similar way to the girl who would stop the singing. Um, so that was probably the psychological aspect of it that messed with me the most. The part that weirded me out, and it's weird that it weirds me out, but the marching band. Oh, I was so going to say that, dude. 
the marching band has always freaked me out because yeah, if yeah. if if it if it legitimately happened, then what is you know what's the rationale behind that? What's the reasoning behind that? Why of all things is right. it that? And that I, I think started, that would freak I me out. I started to so out on you and started yelling, but I was thinking the same exact thing. And I'm like, yeah, but that other stuff freaks me out. But the band, yeah. Like it just uh, if I would probably lose my. I'd flip my lid if that happened. I think that I could probably handle anything else I think would make me be like, oh, like I'd be more intrigued than anything else. Right. But that would push me over the edge of, no, forget it. There's just not even going to be any figuring this stuff out. You know, and it's funny because they've never they've never attempted, I don't think, to duplicate that uh, in any of the movies. And when you talk about, so is it the flies? Is it the the bleeding walls? Or is, is it the picture of Satan that appears in the fireplace? No, it's a band. Right. It doesn't make sense that it should even freak you out the most, but it does. Because uh, well, like you're saying, it is unexplained. And, and I think part of that, though, is, too, like when you look at the movie and, and, and the Anson book, you're looking at all of those other things as being, if they are fictitious, then you're looking at those as being kind of the expected plot devices. Right. You know, you expect to see, oh my god, are you kidding me? No way. Dude, as we're talking about this, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a, a, a fly just starts flying right in front of my face, <laughs> under the microphone. It's right here in front of me. You can see it on Spooky TV. It's right here. There's one fly in the building, and it just flew right up in my face as we were talking about that. All right. So, so we should probably talk about something different. Yep, now. time to move on. What do you think? Uh, you know, we'll, <laughs> when you heard about the idea for Exorcism Live, uh, yeah. what, what were your thoughts when you when you heard that they were actually planning to do a live televised exorcism of the house where the original Exorcist story took place? Um, to me, it, it seemed to go against the very idea of of what an exorcism should be. Um, and, you know, if you listen to kind of the, 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 the Mount Rushmore of exorcists, exorcists, um, they so often say that the fault, uh, the, 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 the turn, the negative turn that can happen in exorcism is when you, uh, start to believe that you as an exorcist are doing it and it's not Jesus Christ working through you. Um, and that's pride, and that leads to the fall. Um, and so to have this setup that was that was really contrived, I was like, how is okay? I, there's no way I can take this seriously because, I mean, is it sanctioned? Is it is it uh, is it just some people who are going to be throwing out the, the traditional bells and whistles? Um, so I really had very very low expectations of it, and kind of just was like, it took to me it was. Um, not even above the, the the naked paranormal investigating. Well, <laughs> you know, I was a little bit. Uh, and now, in the interest of full disclosure, now this featured the uh, Tennessee Wraith Chasers from Ghost Asylum. It was put together. It was uh, you know run by the production company from Ghost Asylum. So these are the people that I work for. Uh, but when I heard about it. I was like, I don't think this is going to work. Not because I think that it's going to be ridiculous or anything like that. I just thought that you're putting something on the air that will would normally take hours and hours and hours. 
and Louis. yep, or in trying to get two hours of entertainment out of it. And I would, like all, all I was thinking in my head was, what happens if nothing's happening? You know, what do you do if that's the case? And and the same thing happens though with the live paranormal investigations that they do on some of these other shows. Like, what happens when nothing happens? And you know, it's up to the to the staff to figure out and the, the production team to figure out ways to, you know, keep keep the viewer engaged even if you know waiting for stuff to happen. But what any skepticism that I had about the whole project kind of went away when I read Greg Newkirk's comments about it as, as he was watching it. Because he said, listen, it doesn't matter if they had an exorcism, successfully conducted an exorcism, what have you. It got people interested. It got people talking. It got people's eyeballs on the television. And it's going to go down as one of those moments. And he likened it to the Geraldo Rivera specials. Geraldo opened that vault and none of Al Capone's treasure was in there. But who cares? It's It still becomes a, a cornerstone moment of television and right. a, a cornerstone moment of pop culture. And that's what I think they accomplished with Exorcism Live, which is, I think, really all they wanted to do. I don't think they wanted to actually pull any kind of demonic entity from that house because I don't think that there actually is any demonic entity in that house. I, I mean, what are your feelings on exorcisms in general? Like, do you think that exorcisms are are religious things, or do you think they're things that can be performed by, um, by average people or people who have taken, uh, and not to be condescending about it, but a quick path to it? So not necessarily years of study, uh, religious uh, training, sanctioned by a by a by a, a church, so having the full weight of a belief system behind it um what are your ideas on that well here's the way that i i look at it because i think that i don't really know if the process of an exorcism works for whatever the supernatural forces that's involved i think that it can be a healing situation for the living for the real for the actual person that's going through it so i think it's no different than i I think if you go and take years and years and years of psychotherapy eventually at some point you might feel like you're better or that you're doing better or that you've made progress i think if you are somebody who looks at this these problems from the i'm possessed standpoint then an exorcism is going to fix you right away Right. So I think that's why it's a lot of people will go in that go that route if that's in their belief system, and it will work for them in that regard. But if there is something demonic that's being battled with, then I think that this is. I almost think that this is uh, something that has to be done. It doesn't matter how how you got to it or how long you've been doing it, as long as you are as grounded as you can be and as pure as you can be in the intent. You know what I mean? So the minute you, even if you're, even if you're somebody who's been doing this for a long time and you're an actual Catholic priest or whatever, all right, let's just say Pope Francis decides to conduct an exorcism. All right. But then Pope Francis decides that he's going to sell the rights to that exorcism to destination America and have them air it on television live as he's doing it. Well, then I think he's, he's already kind of, hurt himself in that regard because even though he might be the most pious person on the planet, he doesn't have the best intentions going into this and now he's screwed. Right, right. And, and like I was saying, it, it, it's, it's every respected exorcist 
says that it's not them that does the exorcism. It's, it's done through them. You know, it's right. what you were saying before about the psychological parts of it. Most people don't remember that in the movie The Exorcist, it's a psychologist or a psychiatrist who recommends that she gets an exorcism um, and, and says just that, like, in many primitive cultures. You know, it, it's, uh, and then it's, it's ultimately a, a psychologist and a psychiatrist who conducts the exorcism or who go, you know, conducts the investigation and then, you know, obviously, you know, gets the demon out and, and, and you know, traps it, however you feel that that movie ends. People forget that, that the, the, the basis of it was psychological. They didn't think it would have any kind of spiritual um, impact on it. And then, you know, it was, it was someone who was torn between those two worlds, between the spiritual and the intellectual, who ultimately, you know, at least for that movie, defeated the, the demon. We, we have um, somebody on Twitter, Ezekiel McAdams on Twitter, at Pocketful of Fish, wants to know, because I put out the tweet, we're done talking about that word for the night. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, the, and he wants to know why we are, he says, what? That word? Tell me more. And so, no, we are not going to. And as I just tweeted back, we are not, uh, we're done for the night. On Beautiful. The, because things will start to go bad, and I'm here alone. I um I actually have a question for you because I I don't know if you've had an opportunity to listen to the black tapes. Not yet. Um, and I wanted to get your opinion on it, and and knowing that you probably haven't heard, I wanted to get your. So for for people who don't know it, the black tapes is a podcast. I wanted to get them on the show, um, but part of the problem with that is. Um, that they won't, even though it's completely obvious, they won't um, in public acknowledge that it's not real. By the way, if you don't know, the black tapes are not real. They're the most convincing, at times, the most convincing uh, uh, long <laughs> horror story or long ghost story, long paranormal story um, that's kind of out there. Um, but they are not, um, they're not, um, real. <laughs> so I just thought for that. But I'm listening to it, and it is so, if you are not, if you don't know the truth of things, and if you don't know, the wait a minute, and if you, that's not real, wait, wait, that's not true. Or if you don't, you know, then go online and go through their marketing campaign to realize that the people that they're talking about don't really exist. It's very convincing in terms of um, it presents these things in a paranormal way. Um, and it has statistics. Um, it has uh, it cites um, documents that they've kind of been created and put up online, very Blair Witchian. Um, and I was wondering because it, it is about um, you know it's it's kind of a, 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 a reflection of uh, James Randi and his million dollar uh, prove the paranormal challenge. Um, and then, of course, it becomes something more. Um, but I was wondering, knowing just kind of like what I've told you, do you think it's dangerous or do you think it's responsible or do you think it's damaging to what we might be doing to have this non or to have this fictional, um, this fictional story about paranormal investigating out there, about demonology, about um, things like they have this thing called the unsound, which is meant to... Uh, evoke the devil. Um, 
do you think that that's kind of giving people wrong information and that that has a negative impact on what we do? Um, yeah, I mean, it does, but you can't stop it. Just like you can't stop somebody from making a movie about uh, football that is not accurately depicting the way that things go in the NFL. You know, I saw Draft Day. It was a good movie, but it's not how things really work. Right. So, you know, just like you can't stop that from happening, you can't stop this from, from going on either. And I, I think we way overstate the importance of the work that we do. And we way overstate the, uh, I don't want to say debt, but the certain amount of respect and leeway that society owes us for that work that we do. You know, and in the end, you know, there's a very small portion of the population that gives a crap about our research. Right. You know, I mean, that, I understand what the numbers are. People that believe in ghosts, for example, there's a high number of people that do believe, but that doesn't mean that they need us to be out there investigating them. There's a very small portion of the population that actually want to see that happen. And so I don't think that anybody owes us anything for that. Right. Uh, right. But uh, So, yes. Does it hurt it? Yes. Does it need to be stopped? No, because... That, then it's a slippery slope of saying, well, then you can't right. let and these it's people do it. So, I mean, you should never try to stop someone from doing, you know, like what they do. But you know, the, the, the exorcism thing made it really, like, pop into my head because, you know, there's this whole part of it about exorcisms, and they quote all of these statistics that I know are not true uh, in terms of, like, the Catholic Church is now training this many. There were this many reported exorcisms in this year. Um, and it's gone up 700% to this. And I was like, but someone listening to this who doesn't fully realize, or doesn't even say, maybe they even say, you know, oh, I totally understand that this is fake, but they're basing it on reality, right? So I'm sure that that study really exists. Um, and so I think, you know, not necessarily paranormal investigators are going to make us look bad or anything, but it puts a lot of new mythology out into the field. Um, that I think is going to, you know, impact the way people think if they're listening to that show. The yeah. same way that everyone thought it had to be, you know, you have to have a ghost who has um, some kind of unfinished business because so many of the paranormal stories and paranormal fiction that was out there had to do with, you know, trying to get retribution or trying to um, get that, that gold pocket watch to somebody. And speaking of ghosts with unfinished business, we have uh, a call coming in uh, from Matt Moniz, live at the Lizzie Board and Bed and Breakfast here on Halloween. Uh, good evening, Moniz. What's going on over there tonight? Ah, some interesting things are afoot. Well, let's let's take a step back here because I never got to talk to you or Leanne last night because I had to go. I was out the door going to cover a football game. What actually went down? Because you know my phone was blowing up uh, from the two of you, and and I figured there was probably something happening at the house. Yes, normally most of the activity happens inside the house, but uh, what happened to Leanne yesterday was a little disconcerting to her because it was happening out in the barn. Oh, that's supposed to be the safety zone. Yeah, so she had objects being moved from outside the barn to vehicles, on top of vehicles, behind vehicles, and stuff out in the parking lot. And then Max went from on her bed outside the house looking uh, outside the barn looking to get back in Leanne was right there she would have seen him go through the window if, you know how sometimes he hangs up on the window on the uh, barn mm-hmm. and uh, she's like I saw him laying on the bed sleeping I would have heard him get up and go through the window and he's never jumped down from that window because that's obviously too high for him but uh, she found him outside 
trying to come back in, and she definitely verified that she would have had to come right by her to get out the window because where her computer is at the desk at the window. Uh, but, so uh, so the, the cat got aborted, basically. Yes, basically. That's that's insane. Yeah, that's what... Especially when you consider what that poor cat has gone through. Uh, that's what unnerved her. Yeah, that's her baby, as you know. Right, and and everything that happened before with him disappearing, and plus what he has to deal with on a, on a regular basis, so... Right. Although that stuff doesn't seem to phase him very much. Yeah, she's used to that, but when it starts, you know, happening to, you know, her personal living space, she's getting a little unnerved with that. But uh, tonight, you know, the infamous draw that, uh, from the Ghost Adventures episode we were on? Mm-hmm, yep. Uh, it opened while it was up here on the third floor with everybody going to the tour. Everybody was in Bridget Sullivan's room, everybody that's in the building was uh, listening to Sue, one of the docents, get the, you know, typical tour. Mm-hmm. I'm standing outside the, the Bridget door looking into the chimney room. You know, nobody else going in and out of the room, the light on in the room. And I was specifically looking at the uh, end table. I noticed, noted that the drawer was closed when I was looking at it. Look back into the room where everybody was. Everybody starts to filter out of the room. I'm backing up, and I turn around. Here's the draw open. Huh. Within a matter of, a, I would have to say, 10 to 15 seconds from when I previously looked at it. Like I said, everybody else that was in the house was in that one room in front of me, and I'm looking off to my right. I, I can verify that there was nobody else in that room. Well, I can tell you that we have been, uh, you know, as I've been walking, uh, going around talking to people and doing the Ghost of the South Coast presentation, I've been talking a lot about Lizzie Borden, and I and I told the story again as part of an evening of ghost stories in New England legends, and I think that people are paying a lot of attention to what's going on there. And as I'm talking to people who have recently taken the tour, they're all telling me that it seems like stuff has been amping up. I mean, are they doing any kind of renovation, or is it just the fact that we were in October? What do you think is the reason behind all of this stuff kind of spiking? Um, not any real large-scale renovations at the moment. A couple of little things, you know, painting and redoing wallpaper here and there when they had the opportunity to. But um, as far as it being October, lots of activity happening this past month you and i both been witness to it so yeah well i mean i i think that it's uh it's one of those things where it happens i try to explain to people it happens all the time and just people are paying attention to it more the skeptical people who go there and are saying they're just for the history and don't believe in the ghosts are having experiences and it happens to them more uh, did leanne get a chance to see the article that was written online i forget which website it was but uh somebody I guess a blogger went there and stayed and spent the night with a group of people. And she wrote kind of a very, it's a very hipster article in which she complains about how, you know, this stuff isn't real and people get too wrapped up in it and all that stuff. Uh, was was there any talk about that? Has Leanne seen that as far as you know? Uh, she didn't mention it. Uh, she must not have seen anything because she definitely would have brought it up. Uh, def- definitely, uh, and definitely reading some of the stuff that was written. You know, basically just crapping all over the idea that, that it's haunted. Do we know when the um, when the other murders happened in the house? 
like what year they might have happened in? The uh, the man being shot downstairs was after. Right. I that was in like the twenties, I believe. And uh, the hold on, I was just reading a long article about. Uh, I, I wouldn't be able to find it now. This you would but, have uh, the, uh, the the children. That yeah, were I just next read a long door. article it, about that. Those were in the eighteen fifties, eighteen forties. Elijah's and uh, Borden's kids. Uh, oh, I, was just, I, was, I mean, we focus on, you know, the murders as being um, times, like whether it's in August or whether it's some kind of anniversary for that. But, you know, there are other anniversaries that that house has had, and I was just wondering whether it's 2015 might be one of those. 1848 was when those murders took place. Okay. Just that. Well, I mean, I, I definitely think that... Uh, you know, we're going to see stuff continue to amp up there now with, with Maplecroft and the fact that that's being turned into a bed and breakfast. That's going to be something. And, and we're looking forward to getting in there uh, once the new owner is uh, a little bit further along in the renovations over there. We've I've already gotten permission from her. We're going to be able to go in there. So we'll see what we can drag out of the walls for. Cool. Yeah. Spring. Did a spring event. Yeah. Well, we will let you. Uh, we'll let you get back to it, Moniz, and uh, stay safe. And tell everybody that we said hello and happy Halloween. You got it. Happy Halloween, guys. All right. Have happy a good Halloween, night. Matt. Bye. That is Spooky South Coast Science Advisor Matt Moniz live on the scene at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. And and no surprise there, Chris, that when you know something like that happens, Leanne can handle a lot. But it seems like the last because I get the phone call. She usually calls me first because Moniz is usually at work, and. Every time you get the call, it's it's only because it's something personal. You know, right. it's not like the ghost is bothering this guest or this happened or some guest said this happened. It's only when it gets to her, as long you know, because she knows that the people who are going there are kind of looking for that. Uh, but she's she's trying to make sure that you know she keeps herself insulated from all of it. So when you see the phone call come in, you're like, okay, what do you need? Right, and it, it's, you know, it, it's something that you've explored a lot is, is the, the idea of the, the vortex and the idea of uh, attraction. <clears throat> and, you know, we, we, we have to acknowledge that um, if, if things, whether they be human things or whether they be, um, you know, um, darker, you know, more evil, natural forces, like whether those things, if those things can be drawn uh, to the flame, <clears throat> then... That's, that's a flame. That's a, that's a bonfire. So, it was, you know, every once in a while there might be something that pops up that um, is not Lizzie Borden related, but it's happening to Lizzie Borden and Ben Breakfast. Right. Well, that's a good way to end it, and uh, it was great talking about some of these uh, theories and, and, and ideas with you. It's, it felt very much like a spooky crossroads, only much, much less profane. Yeah, well, I'm going to get off the phone and just start swearing just to make up for it. I'm going to do the same. I, I just got to get to the next 10 seconds, and I'll be fine. <laughs> so that does it for this week's show. Uh, we will be back next week uh, when our guest will be should be Dr. Eben Alexander, where as we talk about uh, life after death and near-death experiences. So stay tuned for that. We'll be back then. Until then, stay spooktacular.